Pastor Ed Taylor with one of the many benefits of being saved. You see, the Bible is very clear. Apart from Jesus Christ, if that describes you today, you are at war with God. However, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the war is over. It's over. You have peace with God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You But wait, there's more, is often used in advertising. And because of disappointing results, some of us are more reticent to take the plunge into some new claim. But the truth of God's promises are compelling, and the potential depth of the Christian experience is an exciting proposition. Welcome to Abounding Grace. We've come to chapter five in our study of the book of Romans. It's there we find some of the benefits of being saved. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Earlier in chapter 4, Paul quoted David from the Psalms, and he wanted us to understand what a blessing it is to be saved. He doesn't want us to forget that. He doesn't want us to have in our minds a time where, well, I was saved, and that was great, and now today's different. I need to take things into my own hands now. I need to get my hands on my life, and, and I'll take it over. It's good to be saved, but it's not great to be saved. But Paul says, oh, not only is it good, but it's great, and it's grand. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 4, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And when we focused in, we learned that blessed can also be translated, oh, how happy is that person? Oh, how joyful is that person? What a great thing it is to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, to have your sins removed. Blessed are those. Blessed are you today when your lawless deeds have been forgiven. And he says, whose sins are covered, blessed, or oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Do not overlook that truth. You are a blessed people, those of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because your sins are forgiven. Not only are they forgiven, but they're removed. Look at Psalm 103 with me, verse 12. Your sins, they're not held against you. They're removed from your life. You are a clean, usable vessel by faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, how happy is the person who has a personal relationship with Jesus and knows that he knows that he knows that he knows his sins and her sins are forgiven. You're blessed. Look at Psalm 103, verse 12. The psalmist writes, as far as is the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a long way, east to west. I mean, it never ends. You keep going east, you're going to continue to go east. You're never going to meet west. Same thing with west. You're never going to, I mean, that's how far your sins have been removing from you. You don't have to walk around hanging your head in shame and condemnation because by faith in Jesus Christ, his blood has forgiven you of all your sins. Flip over a few pages to the right, Micah chapter 7. And this is a foundational truth to your Christian experience, to your personal relationship with him. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. As a matter of fact, as we go through our time together, some of you are going to come to the conclusion how simple Bible study this is. This sounds so simple, but for many, these things have never been heard before. 
the simplicity of who you are in Jesus Christ and what blessed benefits you have being saved. How happy you can be. Look at Micah, chapter 7. It's Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So if you're Jonah, Micah, Nahum in that area, Micah's right in the middle between Jonah and Nahum, right there. Found it? Chapter 7, verse 18. He asked the question, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again, verse 19, have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. Listen to this. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I mean, they're gone, forever taken away, no longer held against us. I mean, when you look at Romans, throughout chapter 4 is where we've been. Abraham is on display. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 were dark chapters. We spent a considerable amount of time in them. And it's like Paul painting the canvas black. And he's painting it as dark as he can. Sin has destroyed you. Sin is hurtful and harmful. Sin is nothing to be toyed around with. Sin isn't anything to minimize. Sin isn't anything to wink at or pretend it doesn't exist. And he's painted it all into the terms of, hey, it's not just sin abstractly. It's sin personally. It's our personal sin that separated us from God. If you're a religious person today, your sin has separated you from God. If you're a good person today, your sin has separated you from God. If you read your Bible, if you pray, but you've never really connected with Jesus Christ, sin is a problem for you. And that's been Paul's message throughout those chapters. He lays the foundation of the problem of sin and the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't let anyone off the hook. Because by the time you get to chapter 3, verse 23, he just says it flat out. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all means all in the Greek. That if you look it up, that's exactly what it means. All. All of us. Every single one of us. So then the question comes up, wait a minute, what about Abraham? I mean, Abraham's the father of faith. How was he saved? Well, we know how he was saved. He wasn't saved by his works. And he wasn't saved by the law. And he wasn't saved by his religious rituals. He was saved by what? Faith. He was saved by faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the question then becomes, how are you and I saved? By faith. You believe God, what he says about Jesus Christ, the work of the gospel on the cross through Jesus Christ, the good news that he lived, that he died, and he rose again, and that he is sufficient, his life, his death, and his resurrection, the shedding of his blood is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. You believe that, it's accounted to you for righteousness. Same thing as Abraham. But we turn a corner today in chapter 5. We turn a corner that really begins at the end of chapter 4. So let's pick up at verse 23. Of chapter 4. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, speaking of Abraham, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That's how chapter 4 ends. He says, look, it's not just for Abraham's sake that he went through this, that these things are jotted down. It's not just for Abraham's sake that we learn how faith, how righteousness of Jesus Christ through his faith, he was imputed to him or given to him. Imputed, remember, is a banking term. It speaks of having an account. And your spiritual account is filled up with the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Same with Abraham. But he says it wasn't just for Abraham's sake, it's also for our sake so that we can learn that it's by faith in him that a true Christian life exists. It's not by works or rituals or any of those things. 
And from chapter 5 through 8, there's a tremendous transition in Romans. Paul will begin to explain what a tremendous work it was for Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again. What Jesus did was enough for us because of his resurrection. He sealed it. We can't add anything to the work of Jesus Christ. We don't need to add anything. Now would be a good time, though, to look back at Romans just for a second to catch us up to where we're at. Remember, Romans is probably, most likely, considered the best and most powerful spiritual book in the New Testament. I mean, it is, it has in it the power to change you spiritually, your complete foundation. That's why from time to time in Bible studies, you are faced with something that you've been taught or something that you've believed that doesn't square with the scriptures. And when that happens, where do you want to side? You want to side with the scriptures. Even if the teaching's been in your family for hundreds of years, the Bible wins out. We should always ask ourselves in relation to doctrine, what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? And as we look at this, it's quite possibly the most important spiritual book and document that's ever been written. In it, we find freedom and liberty and power as God has used it in a very special way. And as it infuses grace and love into your homes and into your marriages and into your lives, things change. Chapters 1 through 3, we've already seen. It's the problem of sin. The problem of sin and the need for the gospel. Chapters 4 and 5, well, they begin to explain the provision. What's available to you today? See, I believe some of you have walked in here today without a relationship with Jesus. You might have been invited by a friend. You might be checking it out of something you might heard or something you heard around town or you tune on the radio, you want to see for yourself, but you're not connected to Jesus Christ. The problem is, is you might think you are. The problem is, is you might have a religious ritual relationship that maybe you were raised in a church or raised with Christian parents or maybe you've picked up the Bible from time to time. Maybe you've thrown up a prayer here and there in tough times and somewhere in your heart of hearts you think that's enough. I mean, I, I, you might even be here today and I would ask you about your relationship with God and you might say something, I don't have anything against God. I don't have anything against Jesus. But then when I press you toward, are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? You have a problem with that. So, well, I'm not exactly surrendered. I, I don't even know I need to surrender. And, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But then when you measure a good person's life by the scriptures, you know what happens with that good person? They find out they're not so good after all. They find out that the good in their life, the good perhaps in your life, isn't good enough to please Jesus Christ. That the only way to have your sins forgiven is to have perfect righteous blood shed. And none of us have perfect righteous blood to shed. But Jesus Christ has made the way out. And in a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. You can leave here knowing that you know that you're right with God. You can leave here with assurance, with strength and hope. And so when we look at these chapters, if you're jotting down, just so as you read ahead, you know, that's the neat thing about reading through the scriptures, you can read ahead. Chapter 5, what we're going to learn is that we're free from the curse of Adam. And we're going to find out that Adam caused a lot of damage through his one sin. That the focus on chapter 5 is on the Adam, the one man that caused great damage, but so that the new man, Jesus Christ, the one that comes in perfect holiness, he's going to make a way out for everyone that has faith. So we're, going to, we're free from the curse of Adam by faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, we're going to learn how we're free from the power of sin. As a believer now, you are free from the power of sin. You know what that means? That means that anything in your life that you're making excuses for, Jesus has already delivered you. It's not the fact that it's so powerful. The fact that you're still in it is because you choose to be in it. You're free from the power of sin. In Jesus Christ, you don't need to be bound to the bondages of this world anymore. 
And we know that we're really bound when called on it or when the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, our first response is some excuse. Well, you don't understand and you don't know. And excuses, well, they build us up away from the truth. They really take us away from what the truth will find in chapter 6, that we are free from the power of sin. Chapter 7, we're going to find we're free from the law. I mean, chapter 7 is one of those chapters where 6 and 7 really go together. But if you want to read ahead, you're going to find in chapter 7 just how much Paul is like us. I mean, he's going to say things like, here's an apostle, a man that God used to inspire the word of God. He's going to say, the things I do, I don't want to do. And the things that I don't do, I really want to do because I find this war in my body. And he was wrestled with his flesh just like you and I do from time to time. Chapter 8 is a glorious chapter. And we learn in chapter 8 our freedom to live in Jesus Christ. We have a new life now. Our old life has passed away. Now we have a new life and we're free. We're, not, we're, we're no longer slaves to this world. We're free to live in Jesus Christ. It's a great chapter. If you read it, the very first verse begins with no condemnation. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You know how it ends? No separation. So you're not separated from the God that loves you. It is a neat thing to be saved and to have your sins forgiven. That's what I believe the beginning of chapter 5 is all about. And we're only going to cover the first couple verses. Because I want to pause and share with you a few of the blessed benefits of being forgiven and being saved. Pick up with me verse 1, chapter 5, Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, what a great word. It's used often in the New Testament. It's a connecting word. Therefore, it takes us back to what we've learned. And the therefore here is, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, since we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, these things are ours. This is a done deal. Therefore, you can also translate the word therefore because of. Because of the justification, the salvation that we have by faith, these things are ours. So because of what Jesus did, dying for our sins, rising again, our simple faith, these are the things that we have. These are benefits right now I want you to understand you have as a Christian. They aren't something that you might get. You don't, you don't think, well, when I'm mature enough, when I grow enough, when I have things figured out, when I know more of the Bible, when I feel stronger, none of those things apply. As a believer, these things are yours right now. No matter how you feel about it, no matter what's going on in your life, by faith in Jesus Christ, these things, we're going to look at four of them if you want to jot them down. Number one, notice, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a truth in your life right now. You and I, we have peace with God. The Father has nothing against you. There are no records of sin. They've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've washed you and cleansed you and brought you near. You are accepted in the Beloved. No longer separated, no longer fighting against God, no longer striving against God. We now have a tremendous and wonderful abiding peace with God. Do you know that before you were saved, you were at war with God? You were at enmity with God, the Bible says. That there was a battle going on in your life for the very salvation of your soul. That apart from Jesus Christ... There's a battle. There's no peace apart from him. There's no hope apart from him. There's always this striving, always this battle, always. There was no desire for the things of God whatsoever. And you know what? We don't really need the Bible to tell us this, do we? I mean, this is the condition of man apart from God. 
There's a lot of different battles taking place. That's why when you are motivated to give out a track or to hand out a Bible or to invite somebody to church or pray with somebody in the office or want to take a step towards spirituality with someone, maybe the topic of politics and religion comes up at work and this time you decide to jump in. And you're not just talking about religion in general. You bring Jesus Christ right to the table. That's why people get all upset. You know, They're like, what Jesus? Don't talk about Jesus here. We were talking about the president. What are you talking about? Well, religion and politics, they go together, right? So you... Anything is open door for the sharing of the gospel. And you've taken that to heart. And your heart now is at work. You're not just a worker. You're an evangelist. You're a missionary. Your heart is to be used wherever God has you for the moment. But because you're surrounded by people that are battling against God, you become a convenient target. Have you noticed that? So I'm fine with God, but you're the one I want to take down. You're the one I want to argue with. And if you're not careful... They'll suck you into a fight that really isn't one that God has called you to fight. Did you know that? The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And because there are those that are fighting with God, that fight sometimes becomes your fight, but I'll just let you off the hook. You don't need to fight God's battles. He does just fine. You be that light and that witness and that person of love in your workplace and in your family, and God will use you. And, and don't be so impatient, would you please, looking for fruit right away. It's like, man, I was just with my family and nobody got saved. I mean, I laid hands on them. I picked that turkey up and I said, thank you, God. And nobody got saved. Be patient. Be patient. I know some of you, you wanted to pray. And you prayed, man. You prayed for 45 minutes. The food got cold and everybody's going, hey, don't let it pray again. Don't be impatient. You know how you spend some time with your family and you, you might leave a little discouraged? Don't be discouraged. Just be the light that God has called you to be and let your Father get all the glory in heaven for great things He has done. See, the battle, well, the battle sometimes is in the mind. You know, I realize that some of the greatest battles that you have fought against God was right before the moment that you got saved. Nobody really knew it, but you knew it. The gospel message went out, and as far as anyone else could see, you were just fine, but inside you were not fine. Inside you were like, wait a minute, that guy, he's talking to me, but he doesn't know me. How could he know that about my life? How could he put his finger so closely? I've never met that guy. I don't even know who he is. Well, the Holy Spirit knows you. And the Holy Spirit moving through his word goes right to your heart. And you were wrestling. The opportunity came. Raise your hand. Stand. Walk up to the front. And you were like, I'm not walking up. I'm not raising my hand. But then I got to. I don't want to. I got to. And there's a battle going on even though no one saw it. I realized for some of you the battle was in the mind because you're well-educated. You were blessed with a great education. You're very smart. You think on that level. And so it didn't become a heart issue for you as much as it did become a head issue for you. And you're like, I don't think so. I wasn't taught that. And that doesn't make logical sense. And you were wrestling, oh, by faith. Oh, by faith. Do I have to become illogical by faith? Well, not at all. But that's where the battle was for you. You see, the Bible is very clear. Apart from Jesus Christ, if that describes you today, you are at war with God. However... If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the war is over. It's over. You have peace with God. Here's the problem. Sin in our lives continues to creep up in a variety of different ways. And with sin comes the temptation and the lie from the very pit of hell that now you're at war with God again. And that's what pushes people away. So I'm at war with God anymore. And sometimes it's a war with other people and, and, and you, you get all confused. But by faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer at war. You have peace with God. You can go to bed at night with a clean conscience. You're okay with God. 
it's all well. You can get a good night's sleep. Your sins aren't held against you. I don't care what your past is. It doesn't matter what you were into. It doesn't matter how deep you were into it. By faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. And a blessed benefit of being forgiven is you have peace with God. Here's a battle that happens when you're sharing the gospel. When you go out and share with someone just what I just did, God will accept you as you are. You're like, no, 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 uh uh-uh. He's not going to, you know, I'll go to church when I straighten some things out. That's what, I, 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 I just can't believe that God will accept me. I mean, he is, you don't know who I am, and I know who I am. And, and the battle becomes, will you just believe that? Will you believe that God will receive you as you are? That you don't need to clean anything up. That, that you in your life, you don't have to come to a place where you've got a standard where you've set, and as soon as you meet your own standard, then you'll start seeking God. The Bible says, seek God while he may be found. Come as you are. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be given peace. That's Pastor Ed Taylor describing the first of four benefits we have when we are saved and forgiven. We have peace with God. And there's much more, I'm happy to say. We'll have that for you tomorrow on Abounding Grace. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through either of our apps. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, as you are describing the peace with God the Lord brings into our lives when we become saved, I was thinking of your own testimony. Would you mind sharing how you moved from being at war with God to peace in Jesus? Well, first of all, Larry, you know, our testimonies are very powerful tools. I remember what we learn in Revelation, that there's an overcoming power by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And for a broadcast like this, my testimony is much too long to be included at the end of the program. But I do want to encourage everyone that you have a testimony, and basically they fall into two categories. Either you have a testimony where you were saved from radical sin— which is my testimony. I I didn't get saved until I was 23 years old uh, after giving myself over to the addictive properties of alcohol and drugs and, and a general stupidity of rebellion. And the other testimony is to be saved from sin, not just out of, but from sin, uh, where you were raised in a godly home and God strengthened you through the temptations. And I know those that don't have this radical, oh, I had a horrible life, horrible sinful life testimony sometimes might feel cheated. Like, well, you know, I need to go get a testimony. You don't need to get a testimony because you have one. You are uniquely living a life written out by the hand of God. And from for me, it was a place of hitting bottom, not quite bottom, but bottom. Nobody knew that except me. Uh, I had gotten myself in trouble with the law again. My wife was ready to leave me. I, but I wasn't showing any outward cracking, if you will. Like I still wanted to plow through and I'm like, well, if you're going to leave, then you're going to leave. And if I got to go to see a judge again, I got to see, I just was so rebellious. And it was around that time that God was using those things to get my attention. And a friend of mine came over that I grew up with who was born again at Calvary Chapel Downey and probably heard a message from our pastor, Jeff Johnson, that said something like, hey, uh, go find the worst sinner possible and share the gospel with them. And and he invited himself over to our house and began to share the gospel with me and my wife, which led to me secretly attending church, which led to me hearing the gospel and its clearness of God's love for me, which led to me repenting of my sins, 
and being born again by the power of God, which now many years later, we're living out the redemptive, sanctifying work of God in our lives. So good, so good, so good. And may the Lord bless you as you're listening that you would celebrate the testimony that God is writing out in your life. Thanks for sharing that, my friend. Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Warren Wiersbe. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called On Being a Servant of God. Sometimes we lose sight of what ministry and service is all about as we get overwhelmed by the pressures and the needs that surround us. Be encouraged and strengthened by the wisdom that Warren Wiersbe shares in this easy-to-read book. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for On Being a Servant of God. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 